Welcome everyone to the Ready for the Draft podcast. I am your host, Greg Schutz. This is episode 20 of the 2021 podcast series, taking a look at the draft eligible prospects and getting you ready for the NFL draft set to begin April 29th. Now look, last episode, we took a look at the first 16 picks in the first round and the teams that held those first round picks really wanted to see what they what their first three rounds look like in the draft. So from Jacksonville down to Arizona, we went ahead and took a, the, took a look at those first three rounds. And over the course of that podcast and this podcast, we'll be taking a look at a total of 106 picks, really talking through some of that decision-making process, what the teams are really thinking of, and who might be the better fits for those programs in a lot of those positions. So we're going to go ahead and jump into things right away. We've got a lot to cover, a lot of a lot of picks left to discuss. So we're going to go ahead and jump right in right away. And the Raiders hold the 17th overall pick in the draft. And now we know the story with the with the the, the Las Vegas Raiders. Almost called them Oakland, but I didn't. Uh, the Las Vegas Raiders. Look, you know they started off the season looking like they were destined for the playoffs. Six and three start. Wound up limping in at the end, just two and five to close out the year. Eight and eight finish. Yes, they finished second in, in the AFC West, but ultimately did not make it to the playoffs. But look, they showed some life. I think Derek Carr is coming back as their quarterback. And for those of you that say, well, Derek Carr is not a guy that can get him to the playoffs, I, I, I think that's bogus. Over 4,000 yards, you know, 40, 4103 to be exact, 67.3% per, uh, completion percentage, 27 touchdowns, just nine interceptions. Now it's a 1.7% uh, interception rate. When you look at you know the the offense, seventh in, in passing yards, seventh in interceptions. Um, you know, and this is a team. Look, they were also eighth in total yards. Uh, you know, in a rushing game that uh, you know, look, they they put the ball in the end zone, uh, sixth in in the league in, in rushing touchdowns. But the defense, my goodness, the defense, thirtieth in points allowed 25th in total yards 26th again you know against the pass you know th- this was a defense that really struggled to get anything going so i, I think really what you're going to see is, is mike mayock and john gruden and company really focusing on the defense it wouldn't surprise me if the first three picks were all defensive players so when we look at this and we really study things you know obviously the pass rush needs to be addressed you know, Max Crosby, hey, set the pace with seven sacks. This dude, former fourth round pick, you know, 17 sacks in his two seasons, really looking like a, a, a steal there in the fourth round coming out of Eastern Michigan. But the former fourth overall pick, Cleveland Furl, managed to only bring down the quarterback twice and really has struggled to really make a name for himself there. Um, so you could definitely see them looking for a guy like Quiddy Pay. Uh, Gregory Rousseau, Aziz Ojolari to potentially beef up that pass rush. Uh, I think there's also a need at the defensive tackle position. You look at Jonathan Hankins, uh, Malik Collins, they're both free agents. Maurice Hurst is entering the final year of his deal as well. And the Raiders couldn't stop anybody up the middle. That that defense was really porous, um, you know, especially on that defensive interior. They need a dominant three technique. And, you know, Chris, Christian Barmore absolutely looks the part. You know, if you listened to the last podcast, that I already have Bar- Barmore going to Jacksonville. So, you know, there's already a spoiler alert there. But look, Vegas invested in that linebacker position heavily last season with the additions of Nick Kwiatkowski and, and Corey Littleton. 
And while you know the, the former did a decent job in coverage, uh, it was Littleton who struggled mightily in, in 2020. You bring in Gus Bradley, you bring in the cover three defense. Littleton may have a chance to redeem himself, but I think you know you, you think of Mike Mayock, you think of guys that he really wants performing at big name schools. You know he had the connection to Notre Dame when he worked for NBC covering the Fighting Irish, and I'm looking at Buckus winner uh, Jeremiah Wusu Koromoa. Now, a lot of people have him, you know, in their 20s, in their overall, uh, in their overall board. I look at Jeremiah Wusukoromoa, and he's not quite on on the level of, of Isaiah Simmons in terms of the athleticism. Uh, I'm sorry, in terms of the size, you know, athleticism comparison. But what I do see with Wusukoromoa, yes, he's 6'2", 215 pounds, so he, he's he's got a uh, you know that body type to where he almost looks like a safety, but. One thing that you can say about Owusu Koromoa, J-O-K, uh, is that you've got a defined position for him. You know, he's played that rover there at Notre Dame, a linebacker. He's very versatile. You can play him just about anywhere in that defense. Um, and when you watch him play, you know, he has that sideline-to-sideline ability, has a knack for getting after the quarterback, bends so well coming off the edge as a blitzer, and he's one of the most li- athletic linebackers in coverage. You, know, you watch him play... Uh, you know, I watch him line up on the outside, and he's lining up against receivers, and he's getting depth and, and making plays deep. And, and so, when you talk about that, a linebacker that has that type of, of versatility, the Raiders it, it, it would behoove them to consider JOK, and I, I, he just feels like a, a Mike Mayock type pick. So that's why I have him coming off the board there, 17 overall, to the Raiders. Now, when you look at the second round, I talked about that defensive tackle position, and I'm looking at Davion Nixon out of Iowa. He could very well come off the board in round number one. Let's not you know not get that twisted. He's he's a phenomenal player, a junior there for for the Hawkeyes, 6'3", 305. Um, but if he does fall to round number two, I think the Raiders have to jump on on him right away. You know, he's, he's as disruptive as they come. Wins at that point of attack with that explosive burst. Plays with a real low pad level. Excellent hands. He's got a really nice swim move. You'll see a, a nice rip as well. Um, this is a guy, uh, look, you know, 15 and a half tackles for loss. You know, he's very explosive getting up, you know, up the shooting gaps and getting into the backfield. Um, but that disruptiveness doesn't stop there. As a pass rusher, he reminds me a lot of Geno Atkins. You know, that ability to shoot gaps, get off blocks, win with leverage, and get downhill to the quarterback in a hurry. You know, that, that incredible athleticism he also showcased on that interception that he took back 71 yards to the house against Penn State. This guy's athletic. Um, I, I think because of that athleticism and the playmaking ability, his ability to be a not only a, a run stuffer, but also be a guy that could be disruptive as an interior pass rusher, collapsing the pocket from within, he could very well be a first rounder. But if the Raiders can land him in, in the second round, they absolutely have to pull the trigger on him. And then that leads me into, into round number three. We talked about the pass rush. We know, hey, look, they, 21 sacks all season long. I mean, that's that's just disappointing and, and, and really depressing. And really, only outside of, of Max Crosby, only free agent linebacker Nicholas Morrow with just three sacks was the only player to finish the season with more than two and a half sacks. That's not going to sit well with Mike Mayock. So I'm looking at Rashad Weaver out of Pittsburgh. 6'5", 270, team with Patrick Jones II to form one of the more formidable duos in all of college football. Registered nine and a half sacks in his first two seasons. Went down with that ACL tear in 2019. Returns, 
Seven and a half sacks, 14 tackles for loss. This is a guy that doesn't just rush the quarterback. He also plays well against the run, which is something that the Raiders need. They don't just need situational pass rushers. They need guys that can be three down players. I think Rashad Weaver uh, can absolutely do that. He's not a one trick pony. He can set a, a strong edge, does a good job reading and reacting uh, and chases the ball down, the ball carrier down from behind as well. Uh, so when you look at that, you're talking about the Raiders. Um, and you're talking about you know an, uh, a linebacker, defensive tackle, defensive end with their first three picks. And uh, you know I'm working on my my fourth round right now, and I see a guy like Richard LeCount out of Georgia, 5'11", 190. You know, this is a guy who's a, an excellent center fielder. I think he complements Jonathan Abram well. If the Raiders decide, look, we're going to go ahead and attack, you know, fill in some of the gaps on offense in, in free agency, then I can absolutely see them using those first four picks on defensive players. And you can land four really nice players. I mean, when you think about that, Awuso Koromoa, Davion Nixon, uh, you know Rashad Weaver and Richard LeCount. You know you're getting a you know four really solid players who should be able to come in and make an impact right away. I mentioned the Dolphins uh, in last podcast. They had the number three overall pick, so that's why we're not going to talk about number 18. We already did Najee Harris coming off the board there. I, I think that makes so much sense. Uh, you know when you look at Miles Gaskin, Salvan Ahmed as as the only running backs in that backfield right now. Uh, with any uh, real production to their credit. And I think they're both complimentary backs. Najee Harris, you know, he's kind of the wave of the future there at the running back position. Uh, so we're going to move wa- uh, to the Washington football team. Number 19 overall. And, uh, you know, I, I think they, they may have been the, the feel-good story of 2020. You look at, at their head coach, Ron Rivera, beating cancer. Alex Smith, the improbable return to the field. You look at the, you know, the, the leg injury, nearly lost his life, then almost lost his leg, and somehow two years later is out there leading the team to the playoffs, winning the NFC East. Uh, it's incredible what they were able to do. So you look at it, and there are a lot of lot of needs that need to be addressed. Obviously, former first round pick Dwayne Haskins let go. Smith, absolutely a revelation, but he's not the long term answer. We know that they're going to be on the market for a quarterback but will they trade up to to land a guy like Trey Lance or uh you know that's probably the guy that they would target if they try to move up I I I don't see Washington trying to trade up into uh the, the top 10 to land one of the top three um if they stick it out at 19 you know this could be an offensive tackle could be a wide receiver um, you, know, you look at tra- uh, Terry McLaurin quietly becoming one of the league's top young wideouts. Got his first thousand yard season this past year. Logan Thomas, converted quarterback out of Virginia Tech. He's actually a really exciting tight end. Then you look at the the, the rest of the receiver group, and, and I wrote this in, in my uh, my mock draft online. I said basically the rest of the receiver group was held with scotch tape and bubble, bubble gum. Kelvin Harmon, promising rookie season. He goes down to a torn ACL. Undrafted free agent Emmanuel Hall showed some promise, tore his Achilles tendon. And then last year's fourth-round pick Antonio Gandy-Golden, a big physical target, battled a hamstring injury. So that left Cam Sims, Steven Sims Jr., and Isaiah Wright to fill in. That trio, you know, not bad. 86 catches, uh, 939 yards, and two touchdowns. But all of those numbers failed to equal the totals that that Terry McLaurin put up. So you look at a versatile playmaker like Kadarius Toney, you know, the development from being a gadget player when he arrived at Florida, Florida into a bona fide wide receiver uh, as a senior, um, you know that that could potentially you know 
be that pick there. You know, he put on those skills on full display there at the Senior Bowl, the type of separation that he was creating. But you know, you also look at the receiver position, and there, there's the likes of Juju Smith-Schuster, Allen Robinson, Marvin Jones, uh, Kenny Galladay. There are a lot of receivers that are out there that Washington could potentially target. And so I'm expecting Washington to land a, a wideout prior to the draft so that focus can turn elsewhere with this pick. A lot of people have them talking about taking a, a left tackle. So you look at, at uh, you know, Drone Col- uh, Christian going down to injury. Cornelius Lucas steps in, performs really well. Yeah, and then last year's fourth round pick, Sadiq Charles, dislocated his kneecap and finished the season on IR. But he's another guy that could potentially show promise. If they want to go offensive tackle, Christian Darisaw, if he's around, if he falls, I, I think that could potentially be an option. But there's also a need at linebacker. And I'm looking at Zaven Collins, the, the Bidneric Award winner, uh, you know, there at, at that linebacker position there for Tulsa, 6'3 or 6'4, 260 pounds. The, the, the junior uh, also won the Nagurski Award, my favorite player in all of college football a, a season ago. Um, you know, watching number three run all over the field. And, uh, you know, the reason why I think this pick makes sense, you look at Cole Holcomb, he looks like a keeper. You know, he can either play the Sam or the Mike, but, you know, John Bostic, he's in the final year of his deal. Um, could be expendable, could be cut. Um, you know, Ryan Anderson, Kevin Pierre-Lewis are all are free agents as well. And Collins is the most versatile defend, one of the most versatile defenders in the draft. You know, for a guy his size, he'll probably be running in the low four fives. And, uh, you know, has that speed to cover the field sideline to sideline. Um, tremendous blitzer showing excellent hand usage and flexibility to bend in a hurry getting around to the quarterback. Dynamic in coverage. Four interceptions in 2020. And one of my favorite plays in, in all of the 2020 season was that 96-yard walk-off pick six to beat uh, Tulane in, in, uh, in overtime. Zayvon Collins, simply put, you know, was had probably one of the best uh, seasons for a linebacker uh, that, that I've seen in, in a little while just because you know nobody really talked about him at the beginning of the year and really as things kept going throughout the season he was making plays and people still weren't really talking about him it, it really took that full body of work it took everything he had to show up every week as a group of five linebacker and you see what, what ended up happening. All-American, Nagurski, and, and Bidnarik landing the awards, landing that, you know, the the uh, all of the accolades. And he's a guy, to me, a lot of people are talking about, well, he can drop the weight down to 240, 245. I don't know that you really need to worry about that with him. I, I think you can still get a productive player, a guy that, um, you know, at 260, now, this is a guy that, that's going to be able to take on blockers, be able to, to shed those blockers. Some people are worried about his ability to shed blocks. I'm not too worried about that. I think Zayvon Collins can end up being a day one starter and a guy that can make an impact at the next level uh, sooner rather than later. So Washington moving on from there, number 51 overall. And, uh, you know, Ron Rivera loves to have that dominant pass rush up front. And, and obviously he's got Chase Young that, that's able to do that along with, with Montez Sweat. But you need to have shutdown corners on the back end of the defense. He had that with James Bradbury and uh, Josh Norman in Carolina. He needs to find a guy in uh, in Washington to, to fill that, that, that void. And I, I look at Eric Stokes out of Georgia. He's 6'1", 185 pounds, a junior. 
made an impact in his first two years with the dogs, you know, 18 pass breakups, also blocking a punt that he returned for, for a score. But it was really that junior year where he elevated his game and put everyone on notice. Use that size and elite speed. That's the thing. He's going to run probably in the four threes. Smothered receivers on the outside. He's instinctive. He drives on the ball quickly. Um, is a playmaker. Returned two of his four interceptions for touchdowns. You know, to me, I look at him. Ron Rivera needs a playmaker, and Eric Stokes can absolutely be that guy. And then finally for uh, the WFT, you know, I, I think when we look at, at round number three, wondering all right what is it that that they're going to be looking for i'm looking at number 74 overall in the pick that they received from san francisco and uh you know look i mentioned that the long-term uncertainty at the quarterback position very apparent they could stay put with that 19 overall pick and at 74 i think that's that's probably about the right value for a guy like kyle trask you know the 6'5 239 pound uh quarterback there out of Florida, a guy that didn't get his first heart really until Florida, and a guy who ultimately worked his way into being the number four uh, or, you know, fourth in the in the Heisman voting this past year. You know, again, this is a guy, to me, I think he just continued to to work, continued to develop, and yes, he had a rough, a rough bowl game against OU. Uh, all the picks that he was throwing, you know, you saw some of the arm strength uh, limitations that really hurt him, but you know you also can't can't deny the fact that you know he did complete nearly 69% of his passes, a 43 touchdown to just eight interception you know uh, ratio there, over 4,200 yards, nearly 4,300 uh, has you know the the ability to read defense. Uh, throws with anticipation and accuracy. The ball placement allows his receivers to to make plays at the next level. Um, you know, and that's the thing. I think when you're in a Dan Mullen offense, it gives you that opportunity to run an offense that you'll see at the next level. And so I, I think for him, what you see there, yes, there are some arm strength limitations, but at the same time, this is a guy who can can succeed at the next level. And so I don't think he's a guy that you would use a first round pick on, or really even a second round pick. But he's a guy that you know you could draft on the, in the third round and potentially get a guy who has that starter potential. Uh, you know, I, I compared him previously to, to Mason Rudolph. I think he has a higher ceiling though than Mason Rudolph, um, and, and a guy who you know should de- you know deserve a chance to start at the next level. Now I mentioned Terry McLaurin and, and that receiving core that's being held together by Scotch Tape and Bubblegum, um, and even if those guys are healthy, you know they return um, and rejoin that wide receiver room. There really isn't a true vertical threat who can take the top off the defense in that group. And I'm looking at Dwayne Eskridge out of Western Michigan. Now look, Dwayne Eskridge, don't get me wrong, could potentially very easily be a second rounder. You know, 5'9", 190 pounds. You know, he showed at the Senior Bowl, you know, he solidified his, his day two status, uh, repeatedly generating separation with his route running and the acceleration to run away from defenders. Legit 4'3 speed, explosive weapon on the outside. He, he's a dynamic playmaker and a guy who I think um, you know would really take that that offense to the next level. You look at all the guys that I named off: Kelvin Harmon, Antonio Gandy Goldman, uh, Golden, uh, Cam Sims, Stephen Sims Jr., Robert Foster, even Emmanuel Hall. 
Um, you know, none of these guys are really burners, guys that are going to stretch the defense vertically. Terry McLaurin is an excellent route runner, but he's not not the fastest guy. Uh, so you bring in a guy like Dwayne Eskridge, he just brings a completely new dynamic to that that wide receiver room. Um, and to me, it just it makes a whole lot of sense if you can nab him there in round number three. Now that moves us to the Chicago Bears sitting at number 20. Again, another team that got off to a hot start, won five of their first six before losing six straight. Uh, you know, the Bears did win three of their final four games. Uh, eight and eight record wasn't enough for a playoff berth. Uh, but somehow, you know, Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy made an, uh, another year to, to right the ship, get back into contention. Um, you know that this offense, you know, this, this offseason, there's going to be a lot of change. You know, there's questions about the quarterback position. Um, you know, obviously Mitch Trubisky likely not going to be there. Uh, but who, who is going to play quarterback? Is it going to be Nick Foles? I, I, I doubt it. Um, are they going to look to try to trade up into the top 10 to la- uh, nab one of the top quarterbacks? You know, if they're sitting there and Mac Jones falls to them at 20, would they consider taking him? Are they going to make a trade potentially for Sam Darnold or Deshaun Watson if they can talk Houston into making a deal? You know, th- th- those those questions remain to be seen. And, you know, with this mock draft, you know, I, I, I'm not going to try to forecast any of that. What I am looking at is is there's a, a tackle situation and a wide receiver situation that we have to decide, you know, what exactly is, is going to be the best scenario here. You know, Charles Leno Jr. been a mainstay um, at left tackle for Chicago. Uh, started, you know, all 16 games in each of the last five seasons. But look, seven-year vet is in the final year of his contract, and he could be a cap casualty as a result. You know, I think if Christian Derisov falls, you know, you have to pull the trigger there. Elijah Vera Tucker's another guy that could absolutely be available. I, I'm looking at Vera Tucker, and I feel more like he, he's going to end up going to Minnesota at 14 instead of uh, an edge rusher like I have with, with Quiddy Pay. Um, that's how I have it penciled in right now. I could see a, a big shuffle in in uh, you know with, with him coming off the board there at 14. But the more I, I look at this draft, the more I feel like that may potentially happen. But don't worry, I'm not going to change up my mock draft just yet. Um, I, I ultimately think this pick is going to be used on a receiver. You look at Allen Robinson; he's not expected to be back as the team's top receiving target. I, I think they need to pull the trigger, get a guy that's going to come in and potentially have that that capability to be a wide receiver one. Um, I, I look at uh, you know Rashad Bateman out of Minnesota, 6'2", 210 pounds, the junior. He seems like a natural fit. He has excellent size, has that footwork and smooth route running ability to create separation, tremendous body c- control, reliable hands. You know, he's not afraid to go over the middle, can stretch defenses vertically, dangerous red zone option. Uh, and to me, you know, he just makes makes a ton of sense here for the Bears. Uh, you know, this could also be Kadarius Toney, but I, I just I look at Rashad Bateman and he just he feels like he has that potential to be uh, you know a go-to wideout at the next level. The big question is gonna be what's he gonna run with that 40 time? Um, you know, I, I haven't seen I just always think back to Anquan Bolden, a guy who a lot of people were expecting to potentially come off the board in round number one. And because he runs in the in the four sevens, uh, ultimately Anquan Bolden falls all the way to round number three. And, uh, you know, we know the rest is history with Anquan Bolden and what he was able to accomplish at the next level. So all wouldn't be for naught with with with, uh, with, with Rashad Bateman if he does run 
uh, a slower time, but that just means he wouldn't, you know, wouldn't come to the Bears uh, in round number one. But uh, I, I firmly believe that he is going to run in probably the, the the low to mid four or fives, which will be enough, I think, to get him drafted here uh, in the middle of round number one. Shifting to, to Chicago's second round pick, I mentioned that left tackle position, and I, and I do think that Chicago is going to pull the trigger here and, and let Charles Leno, Leno go. And but even if he is retained, look, you know Jermaine Effetti is a free agent, and the team could also do better than Bobby Massey on the right side. Um, and I look at Alex Leatherwood out of Bama, 6'5", 3'10". There's a reason why he was the Outland Trophy uh, winner uh, this past season. Uh, most dominant, uh, he was the most dominant offensive lineman on, you know, probably the most dominant offensive line that kept Mac, Mac Jones upright and paved the way for Najee Harris. You know, he's a punishing run blocker, physical at the point of attack, plows forward to open holes big enough to drive a car through. We saw that, you know, in uh, in the playoffs time and time again. Footwork and pass protection improved this season. Um, and he stepped up, played well when the lights were brightest. You watch the one-on-ones at the Senior Bowl, and that really raised some questions about his lateral quickness and consistency with his hands. The hands didn't always match the feet. I think that's ultimately what's going to push him to round number two. And the Bears, look, if they if they like what they saw during the season with Alex Leatherwood, you can't just rely on, on a little bit of film here or there. Look at the film there in 2020. I thought he did a really good job on the outside for the most part for Bama. You can end up getting a really nice player there with starter potential in round number two. Now shifting to that round number three, 84 overall, you look at the Bears and uh, you know Sean Gibson's a, a free agent. And if he's not brought back, man, imagine Talano Hufanga, the 6'1", 215-pound junior out of SC, pair him next to Eddie Jackson. Now, Hufanga, he created, you know, started his career at SC, heat-seeking missile. He'd fly around to the, you know, to the ball with reckless abandon, no showing no regard for his body. Uh, in 2019, he hurts one shoulder, comes back, injures the other shoulder. Uh, you know, just a guy that, you know, just no cares for his body whatsoever. But you know what he also showed was that innate ability to quickly diagnose plays, come downhill in a hurry, and make a play on the football. And once he locked onto his target, man, he'd slip blocks, he'd run alleys, he'd wrap open, you know, uh, wrap up the the ball carrier in the open field. But he missed parts of each of those first two seasons with the Trojans. As a junior in 2020, he didn't miss a game. You know, he, he did a much better job playing under control. That's really the biggest thing at the end of the day. He was able, you know, the game really slowed down for him because he was playing under control. Um, you know, not only was he playing downhill against the run, he was also an, effect, uh, an effective blitzer, uh, both bending off the edge and shooting through the A-gap. So you saw that coming from, from him with, with both of those. But also tremendous against the pass, picking off four interceptions to lead the team. And maybe most spectacular of those picks was against Washington State undercut a crossing route, reached behind him with his right hand, tipped the ball in the air to himself, then on his return, hurdles a player, takes the ball 37 yards down inside uh, the, the, I think it was like the five-yard line, sets up first and goal for the Trojans. Uh, All-American honors, uh, Trojans' first Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year since Adoree Jackson in 2016. You know, Eddie Jackson, look, he was a playmaker himself. You know, the, for the Bears so far, ten interceptions, three of which were, were returned for touchdown in just four seasons. So you pair two playmakers on the back end. You know, I think that'd be a lot of fun to watch. So I think Chicago, it just seems like a match made in heaven to me. 
Indianapolis sitting at number 21. Here's the deal. You know, Phillip Rivers retires. You bring in Carson Wentz as your new quarterback. So how are you going to protect him? You know, that's going to be one of the questions. Anthony Costanzo, uh, it feels like he's been manning that left side forever. He was a 22nd overall pick in 2011, played in 144 consecutive games, or I'm sorry, yeah, played in 144 games over that span. And look, the Colts, reliable offensive line uh, for years. That's kind of been their staple, right? You know, I, I think Costanzo's turning the, the reins over to, to Quentin Nelson, Braden Smith, Ryan Kelly. Indy has to be looking to find Costanzo's replacement. You know, and, and so is it going to be in round one? There, there's a... a a great possibility but i look at samuel cosme he feels he just looks so much like anthony costanzo they're about the same size and, and weight really um and so it's just eerie just when i look at the two of them and so i think he can probably be had there on day two uh the colts finished you know 40 with 40 sacks but justin houston and Danico autry uh, who, who combined for 15 and a half of those. They're both free agents, so they could use some infusion of youth. You know, uh, Justin Houston starting to get a little long in the tooth, and uh, they could target one of the top edge rushers. Um, in this case, it could be Gregory Rousseau coming off the board here. But then you also have to remember that Xavier Rhodes is 31 years of age. He's a free agent, so they could also look to get younger at corner. Is it too big of a stretch to have Patrick Sertan fall to number 21 overall? widely considered a top 15 pick possibly even a top 10 pick you know and i think he does use his size to his advantage as a as a physical press corner you know can be pretty handsy at times um you know he, he likes to use that length and ball skills you know making plays at the catch point has the bloodlines don't hurt but you know i think there are a lot of a lot of yards that are that uh, are gained in front of him again i mentioned the handsiness uh a, a little bit there as well could Sertan fall? I, I think there's a possibility. I honestly believe that uh, Caleb Farley and, and J.C. Horn, um, you know, are probably you know, better overall. Although, you know, I know that there are a lot in the in the draft community who think that J.C. Horn is the handsiest and grabbiest of, of the corners in this draft class. You know, I, I think Sertan. You know, it, it may be one of those things to where Sertan may come off the board at 16 to Arizona in my mock draft, and uh, and J.C. Horn is penciled in here to the Colts. Um, you know, we'll have to kind of see how everything plays out here, but uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Sertan does fall. Um, you know, we have to see what that long speed looks like um, down the stretch. Now at 54, uh, I mentioned Samuel Cosme. That's where I think they go uh, this past season. Pro Football Focus noted that, that Cosme led the Longhorns in blocks that led to a touchdown or a first down with 25 to go along with 28 knockdown, total knockdown blocks. He's more of a finesse tackle, so I need think he really needs to hit the weight room, add some of that lower body strength required to really anchor and be a drive blocker in the running game. So that, to me, would make a lot of sense there for, for Indy, though, in, uh, in round number two. And then... Round three for them, that was the pick that they ended up giving to the Eagles at 85 overall. So the Colts won't be drafting in round number three, but I think it was definitely worth it to land um, land Carson Wentz, get your quarterback. Hopefully he can really you know resurrect his career with Frank Reich again and uh, you know that reunion. But uh, 
round four, I've, I've got Indy taking Ade Ogundeje out of Notre Dame, 6'4", 268. Um, you know, the, the defensive end here, he's a guy who, you know, I think has surprising lateral quickness. The the agility was, was shocking. Running backs trying to bounce it to the outside, and he was able to show that he can get off blocks, get to the perimeter, and uh, drop running backs for no gain. Um, that athleticism, to me, um, you know, shouldn't go unnoticed. And uh, I think he's a nice fourth round find. And so I think that's ultimately where they get their pass rusher. Moving on to number 22, Tennessee Titans. I mentioned Gregory Rousseau, and uh, I think this is ultimately where he's going to go. Now, obviously, Tennessee finished 2020, 11-5 record, AFC South crown, but they failed to get past the first round of the playoffs. So I, I think they have to address that pass rush. Only got 19 sacks this past season. Harold Landry led the team with just five and a half sacks. And then uh, they had a D-line trio of Jeffrey Simmons, Daquan Jones, uh, Jack Crawford, combined for another seven. They tried to bring in Jadavion uh, Clowney to bolster that pass rush. Didn't even register a single sack through the eight games that he played in before he tore his meniscus. So not only did the Titans finish dead last in the league in sacks, but according to Pro Football Focus, they also finished 31st in the league in pressure rate at 17.3. So I, I know Jones and Crawford are both free agents, so they could target uh, you know, Christian Barmore with this pick. Incredibly disruptive as an interior pass rusher with those eight sacks this past season. But I think Tennessee, if they've got one of the top edge rushers sitting there in Gregory Rousseau, they have to jump on him. And, and you know, look, Rousseau, we know he's very raw. He played his redshirt freshman season at the U uh, with 15 and a half sacks. Uh, you know, he was a converted wide receiver, so the physical traits are off the charts with this guy. He could go as high as as uh, as number 14 to Minnesota, um, but to me, I, I think because there's a lot of projection with him, you know, and obviously you you point to the the 2019 season and say, look, the production was off the charts. You know, some of the sacks, you know, they were, the, the players were forced into him or the quarterbacks were forced into him on his side. You still can't, you know, knock the fact that this guy was explosive, a playmaker, has incredible length. And uh, I just think that there's some other guys ahead of him that uh, we'll, we'll see come off the board first. I think ultimately there's going to be a big debate between him and Quiddy Pay as the first edge rusher off the board. Rousseau is going to have to show that that he has he is polished as a pass rusher. Because look, he sat out the 2020 season, which you know would have been uh, a way for teams to really see how he's progressed from his redshirt freshman to his redshirt sophomore season, and we didn't get to see that. So he's going to have to prove that he does have what it takes to make that leap, and that's going to be the big question mark. And if he does showcase that in the workouts and uh, in whatever type of combine we're going to see, then we may see his draft stock climb to a point to where he passes Quiddy Pay. Just for me, I don't see that right now. So I mentioned that defensive end and defensive tackle position, and I'm looking at Tennessee, and I see Osa Odigazua uh, there in round number two at 53 overall. 6'2", 270, so a little undersized, but uh, you know the infusion of that pass rush ability, that's something that they need to really look at. And uh, you know Osa, he's a little bit shorter than his older brother, uh, Oamabe, but uh, you know what he does bring, you know, is this different kind of ferocity to the game. Um, 
you know, he really makes up for it for this tremendous power in his hands. He attacks that offensive lineman, gets those hands into uh, into the chest plate of that offensive lineman, and then gets them off balance, drives them into the backfield, and that push as that interior rusher, that's really where he excels. First step quickness, then the leverage to generate that speed to power, be disruptive in the backfield. I think that's what Tennessee could use there up front. And you know, I think he'd be a nice fit there. Tennessee has two picks in round number three, 86 overall. I'm looking at Elijah Moore out of Mississippi, 5'9", 184 pounds, the junior. Um, you know, this is a guy who's dynamic, Belitnikoff Award finalist, 86 receptions, over 1,100 yards, and eight touchdowns in just eight games. He's sudden off the line, fearless going over the middle, soft hands, threat to go the distance on any play. And, and look, you know, A.J. Brown, proven uh, to be a second-round steal. Adam Humphreys has found a home after being a, an undrafted free agent. But uh, even if Corey Davis is, is re-signed, and I don't know that, that he will be, there should be on the market who could stress defenses from the slot. And I think Elijah Moore is, is that perfect guy to be able to do that for them. And I mentioned that Tennessee had two picks in round number three. I'm looking at 101 overall, one of their compensatory selections. And uh, Paulson Adebo, the, the corner out of Stanford, 6'1", 195, opted out of the 2020 season. And, and look, you know, the last game film that everyone saw on him was 2019, where he got picked on a lot. A lot of uh, double moves. You know, he was baited a lot um, by the offense. You know, really a polarizing prospect. And when he burst onto the scene as a freshman, or I'm, uh, I'm sorry, as a yeah, as a I believe it was a retro freshman. You know, the, he was a former four-star wide receiver recruit. So he had that that understanding of routes and showed those elite ball skills. And, and so he was driving on footballs, making plays, and really, the world had to take notice. And, you know, in his first two seasons, yes, eight interceptions, 27 pass breakups. But, man, he gave up a lot of a, a lot of big plays. And he just struggled with some of the nuances of the cornerback position. Um, I, I think the playmaking ability, look, you know, he's a he's a top 50 player from a playmaking ability standpoint. But he, he still, you know, is learning. He got exposed a little bit. You know, he, he's got to learn a little bit more. I think that the traits are enough to allow him to be a day two pick. I think Tennessee could potentially end up getting themselves a steal here in round number three. So moving on from Tennessee, uh, the Jets had the 23rd overall pick that they took from Seattle. Uh, and they you know, had them taking Aziz Ojolari to get themselves a pass rusher considering uh, you know, both Jordan Jenkins and Ter- uh, uh, Terrell Basham uh, combined for just five and a half sacks. They're both free agents. Maybe one of them comes back, but I, you know, I really don't know. Um, you know, they need to, to be a little bit more productive. Um, I think Basham probably comes back, but, but Jordan Jenkins just has kind of been a bust at the next level. Um, so moving on to 24, the Pittsburgh Steelers, and I'm looking at Elijah Vera Tucker out of SC. 6'4", 3'15", top-rated guard, and a guy who also could play tackle. That versatility could get him drafted, like I said, as high as number 14 to Minnesota. Um... You know, I, I think they have to protect ben, Big Ben, 38 years of age. You know, if I'm looking at the Steelers, um, you know, he's he'll, he'll be back for a final season. Uh, but when you look at the offensive line, you know, this is something. You know, this is why Elijah Vera Tucker makes a lot of sense for the Steelers. Um, you know, uh, Alejandro Villanueva, the, the left tackle, uh, and the left guard Matt Filer, they're both free agents, right? So you have you have those issues, and. Um, and then you look at, at Marquise Pouncey. Marquise Pouncey, 
he's he's already retired you know as well so you've got a lot of issues there up front da- uh, david DeCastro's in the final year of his deal um so that's also a problem so you know i i think the offensive line is really the way that they should be going um with this pick if we don't look at at, at uh if, if we don't, if they don't look offensive line, you know, you look at Juju Smith-Schuster, James Conner, Bud Dupree, all free agents. So you could potentially say, okay, um, Aziz Ojolari could team with Alex Highsmith to replace Bud Dupree opposite TJ Watt. Travis Etienne could potentially come in to provide some much-needed versatility to the running back position and replace uh, James Conner. Um, you know, you could draft one of the one of the receivers. Uh, potentially Terrace Marshall to replace Juju Smith-Schuster. But look, Vera Tucker, if he's on the board, man, that versatility. Uh, and then also, look, I- I've been talking about this. You know, he was USC's Offensive Lineman of the Year in 2019, lining up at left guard on a line that also included Austin Jackson, the 18th overall selection last year, You know, who was the left tackle. Uh, so, And then this year, he kicks out to left tackle, earns first-team All-Pac-12 honors, and showed some pretty clean tape so he could fill in for for Villanueva or Filer take over for either one of them if either one walks in free agency so I, I think that makes a ton of sense there with you know ultimately so when you move on to round number two 55 overall and I mentioned you know Marquise Pouncey let's think about this for a second you know in 11 years in the league nine Pro Bowls five All-Pro selections including three on the first team Marquise Pouncey also named to the the 2010s All-Decade team, his next stop will be Canton. You know, when you look at that, you break everything down. I, I think Marquise Pouncey belongs in Canton with what he's been able to do. Um, but you know, you're looking to now replace that mainstay on that line, and at that center position, I think they have to land that. You know, he's been that guy. They haven't had to worry about a center since 2010 when Pouncey was drafted number 18 overall. I look at Creed Humphrey, 6'5", 315. You know, I thought he made a name for himself as the redshirt freshman pivot as a part of the Joe Moore award-winning offensive line in 2018. That's the top offensive line in the country. It's the biggest trophy, and uh, it follows the the offensive line around that that wins it uh, the the previous year. So when you look at it, he, he lines up. He's the only freshman on, you know, a very veteran line. But then in 2019, they had to replace Orlando Brown Jr., uh, Cody Ford, Ben Powers, and Drew Samia, all guys that are playing at the next level now. Um, so he led that new group of starters. So he had another Big 12 championship and a berth in the college football playoff. Humphrey, look, man, you know, a former wrestler, understands leverage, does a really good job dropping those hips, getting low at the point of attack, uh, quick with his hands, he anchors well, didn't give up a sack in 1,200 pass plays over the last two seasons, according to Pro Football Focus. He's not the best athlete, but look, he's a plug-and-play center at the next level. And I think the Steelers, it behooved them to, you know, if they're looking to replace Marquise Pouncey, they're serious about that. I think you could end up getting Creed Humphrey, and you won't have to worry about the position for another decade. The Steelers, you know, we saw this with, with, with their head coaches. You know, whoever it's been, you know, whether it was you know Chuck Knoll to, to Bill Cower to, to Mike Tomlin, they like that longevity at the you know at uh, at the position. Big Ben has been the quarterback for forever, and so I, I think you get a center in there, you won't have to worry about it for ten years. It just it feels like you know that'd be a nice match for Pittsburgh. 
So, Pittsburgh moving on to, to the third round. And look, nose tackle Tyson Alualu, he's a free agent. If he leaves, I think Pittsburgh needs to find their new guy in the middle. And, and look, they had Casey Hampton anchoring the middle of that D-line for 12 seasons. They need to get a big dude. And I'm looking at a dude, you know, he's no, there's nobody bigger than Tyler Shelvin at LSU. I mean, he's 6'4", 346. Uh, the, the junior, don't look at the stats. This is a dude who just eats up blockers. He's down at the point of attack. He's difficult to move. Allows the linebackers to make a ton of plays behind him. Uh, moves pretty well for a big guy, though. Uh, doesn't move quite as as well as Casey Hampton. But, uh, you know... And yes, he, you know, I wrote that he, you know, he's got a long way to go to, to match the five Pro Bowl selections that Big Snack racked up. But that power, that's something that's really been lacking there up front for the Steelers in the middle. And I think you, you get Shelvin, you let him anchor that, and uh, he'll, he'll take up a lot of space. And those linebackers playing behind him are going to make a lot of plays. So I, I think that makes a ton of sense there for the Steelers in round number three. So the Jaguars I had at number 25, taking Christian Barmore, as I mentioned. So now that moves on to Cleveland at 26. And look, Kevin Stefanski, look, he did what 11 head coaches before him couldn't accomplish. Actually won a playoff game. That wild card win over the Steelers was the franchise's first since Bill Belichick led the Browns to a win over his future team, the Patriots, back in 1994. Uh, you know, one of the fiercest running running games with, you know, with Nick Chubb and, and Kareem Hunt. Baker Mayfield made some significant strides in that passing game. O-line gave up just you know eight uh, the eighth fewest sacks in the league. Um, you know another incredible mark defensively. Look, Cleveland had its moments. You know it held Patrick Mahomes to just 196 yards passing in individual playoff games. Miles Garrett had another All-Pro season, um, tallying another double-digit sack season. Denzel Ward was third in the league in passes defended. But they need to upgrade that front seven uh, to not only put more pressure on the quarterback, but also shut down the run. Now look, Olivier Vernon ruptured his Achilles tendon in Week 17 against the Steelers. Probably won't be available for the start of the 2021 season. Also a free agent, and he may not be back. You know, you've got Adrian Claiborne also in the final year of his deal, and he's 33 years of age. Uh, I think he's more of a role player at this point. Um... And you look at, you know, he was the only defensive end with three sacks, with more than three sacks outside of uh, Garrett and Olivier Vernon. Miles Garrett, simply put, needs a running mate. And you look at Jalen Phillips out of Miami, 6'5", 266 pounds. The junior was one of the more complete pass rushers in the country. Absolutely fits the bill here. Uh, you know, Phillips, you know, he battled those injuries at UCLA, considered retirement at one point but remained healthy in 2020 after transferring to the U. And look, you know, he shows that, that needed burst of flexibility to get to the edge as a speed rusher, but then also has the power in his hands to push the pocket from within. So if the medicals check out, Phillips could end up coming off the board in the top 20. But if, you know, if there are any questions there, um, you know, I think he could fall to, to Cleveland there at 26. And I think Cleveland would be ecstatic Miles Garrett would love it as well. You get that running mate and a guy that can really help you, uh, you know, coming off the edge. And teams will have to, you know, focus on him a little bit more. And maybe Miles Garrett won't see so many double and triple teams. So the Browns, after that, I, I do think that Zayvon Collins has a chance to move there. You look at the, 
the, the linebacker Sione Takitaki. There, there, there could be um, you know, room for for an upgrade there. So I think the Cleveland, you know, Cleveland Browns could end up taking Zayvon Collins if he's there um, at 26. So that'll be something to keep an eye on. So the Browns in round number two, looking at 59 overall. You know, they've got a pair of corners on the outside that they can rely on in, in, in Denzel Ward and Greedy Williams, right? But if they want to take the next step, they need to they need someone to really hold down the nickel. Elijah Molden out of Washington, man. 5'10, 180 pounds, might be the best nickel in this class. Took full advantage of that chance to start in 2019, finished with four interceptions, breaking up another 12 passes, a pretty uh, twitchy dude, fluid in his transitions, trusts his eyes, driving well on the football without any wasted movement. I think this would be a nice pick for the Browns. They get themselves a really nice uh, core of, uh, of defensive backs there. Denzel Ward, Greedy Williams, Elijah Molden, all young corners. Um, you know, I, I think that would bode well for, for them in the long run. So Cleveland has two picks in round number three, and I'm looking at number 90 and, and the Browns. You know, OBJ, um, Odell Beckham Jr., his future in Cleveland has to be up in the air. You know, we, we saw the Browns offense, frankly, perform better without him. Um, so I think he could be on the way out. You know, Rashard Higgins may leave in free agency as well. So really you're left with Jarvis Landry and Donovan Peoples-Jones as the two guys to really rely on in that receiving core. And I look at the Browns. They invested heavily in the tight ends last offseason with the free agent acquisition of Austin Hooper and drafting Harrison Bryant in round number four. I think it's entirely likely that we'll see at least one wide receiver drafted this year. I think Tylen Wallace would be a great fit here. Six foot, 190 pounds out of Oklahoma State. Breakout sophomore season, 86 catches, 1,489 yards, 12 touchdowns. Bolitnikoff Award finalist. He was on pace for another big season as a junior. 903 yards through just nine games until an ACL tear cut that season short. Battled injury again in 2020, but still racked up another 922 yards. So there's no doubt that he's absolutely productive. You just worry about some of those injuries. I think that's what's going to push him down a little bit. But uh, look, make no mistake, Wallace plays bigger than that size. I mentioned six foot one ninety. He may even be a little bit shorter than that. Um, but he always seems to enjoy that physicality on the outside. Corners will want to get physical with him. Uh, I watched him against Tulsa and the big corners there, Ali Green and uh, you know Caleb Evans. They're the big, tall guys, six three. Wanted to push him to the to the sideline. He loved it. He just seemed to eat that up. Um, does a great job getting late separation, adjusts well to the ball, and attacks it while it's in the air. He's really a lot of fun to watch, and I think Baker Mayfield would love throwing the football to this guy. And then Cleveland, just a couple of picks later, got another pick from New Orleans, 92 overall, and Aleem McNeil just feels like a Cleveland Brown to me. 6'3", 320, the junior. Look, Larry Ogunjobi's a free agent this offseason. Sheldon Richardson in the final year of, of, the, uh, of his deal so I think they do draft another defensive tackle, even if Ogunjobi is brought back. McNeil, athletic dude, has the tools to be an interior pass rusher, 10 sacks in, in just three seasons with the Wolfpack. But look, maybe the most impressive play that he put up, um, it was probably one of the best plays from a big man that we've seen. Came against Virginia. He saw as many as three blockers in his face, but he kept his eyes on the quarterback, got into the, into the throwing lane, tipped the ball in the air to himself, and returned it 18 yards for a touchdown. That level of athleticism, imagine putting that in there, especially if you've got Jalen Phillips and Miles Garrett on the outside. That's only going to help that pass rush that much more. Um, I, I think Lee McNeil just makes a ton of sense there to Cleveland in, in round number three. Baltimore sitting there at number 27. So the Ravens, 
they can go in a number of directions as well. You know, they have the league's top rushing attack, 191.8 yards per game, but the passing game finished at the bottom of the league rankings. They they were so starved for weapons that they actually brought in Des Bryant, who hadn't actually played since 2017. Dude was signed off the streets. Uh, you know, Marquise Brown, leading receiver. Miles Boykin didn't emerge as as a team. Uh, was expecting. I think Devin Duvernay showed some promise. He's going to have his role expanded in 2021. But with the lack of production at the position, Bryant, Willie Sneed, free agent market probably gone. Um, I think you have to look for a receiver. Um, I think Baltimore is going to make a play for Allen Robinson uh, and Kenny Galladay, Chris Godwin, Juju Smith-Schuster, Marvin Jones. If they decide to use this pick on a receiver, I think Kadarius Toney, Terrace Marshall, uh, Rashad Bateman all make sense. Um, the pass rush as well has been inconsistent, lacking some star power. You know, they landed Yannick Ngakwe, but his performance in 2020 was underwhelming for them. Uh, you know, Matt Judon led the team in sacks with just six, which is the lowest t- total for a rack, uh, Ravens sack leader since Elvis Doomerville's six sacks in 2015. And then to make matters worse, Judon, Ngakwe, uh, Tyus Bowser, and Pernell McPhee are all free agents. So that's going to command attention on the open market. So I, I think edge rusher is going to jump to the to the forefront as well. I think this pick could potentially, you know, if Aziz Ojulari is kicking around here at 27, he could potentially be the guy. Um, but look, Orlando Brown Jr., he moved to the right side, or from the right side to the left tackle after Ronnie Stanley went down to that fractured and dislocated ankle. Now that he's had that taste of the, of the left side, he wants to remain over there. And that's what he played at OU. So I, I think, you know, the Ravens, they're moving on from him. Jalen Mayfield out of Michigan, 6'5", 320. He seems like the clear-cut option here. Um, He established himself as one of the more powerful offensive tackles, generates a ton of movement in the running game, also improved his footwork and hand usage and pass protection in 2020. That's really what I saw from him. It looked like he was much more comfortable as a pass protector. He'll address that, that, that glaring need up front, which will allow the Ravens to look at more of the offensive weapons and the edge rushers on day two. So, when we move to day two, what do the Ravens do? Uh, sitting there at number 58 overall, how about you get Rondale Moore out of Purdue? 5'9", 180 pounds. Get him in there to, to give Lamar Jackson another receiver to throw to other than Mark Brown. Um, I'm sorry, Mark Andrews and Marquise Brown, the, the two guys out of OU. Now look, Rondale Moore, household name as a true freshman for the Boilermakers. 114 catches, 1,258 yards, 12 scores, freshman All-America honors. Injuries derailed his last two seasons there at Purdue. So he's really a high-risk, high-reward type of prospect. Depending on how the medicals check out, he may fall even further than 58 overall. But when healthy, few exhibit the explosiveness off the ball, his suddenness in his route running, and then that speed to go the distance on any play. Uh, you know, he's also a workout warrior. He's often, you know, they, they made it a point to talk about how he used to live with the offensive line. And when you bench 405 pounds and squat, you know, 600 pounds, it makes sense why you do that. But again, those injuries are definitely going to be that red flag. If he's healthy, this is a dude, you know, if you've got Marquise Brown stretching the defense and you allow Rondale Moore to run things underneath, you know, and then let Mark Mark Andrews stretch things, you know, up the seam, you know, you've got, you know, another playmaker that you have in your, in your arsenal. So the Ravens, in round number three, you know, I mentioned that they needed to find a pass rusher, and I think this is really where they're going to do that. 
Um, and for Baltimore, look, you know, they, they traded the number 91 overall pick to Minnesota, but they do have a draft pick towards the end of the of the draft, number 105 overall, one of the compensatory picks. And here with the Ravens, what I'm looking for here, um, you know, I, I think Jason Owe, um, he may not fall this far. I think this is more so, you know, I think he's a freakish athlete. Um, I, I think he's going to test through the roof athletically. Uh, I think teams are going to fall in love with that, and he'll get drafted a lot higher. But he ha- he's so raw, he, ha- he hasn't lived up to the hype yet. You know, you can see the explosiveness, absolutely. He had five sacks in 2019, but the roster also included Yeter Gross Matos and Micah Parsons. Without them in 2020, teams focused more on him, and, and Owe didn't respond. He failed to record a single sack in seven games, and, and that... You know, he's not an, uh, a can't-miss can't miss rush prospect. A lot of people have him in their top five, and I just I don't see it. I think, you know, I may be in the minority here, but I think his true value is in the third round. If Baltimore's patient and they, they get their hands on this athlete, then they might be able to mold into the pass rusher. You know, I just I, I wouldn't take a chance on him until round number three. And, you know, I think the Ravens, if they play their cards right, they can get their tackle and their receiver in the first two rounds and then potentially make a play for Owe there in round number three. Moving on to 28, the New Orleans Saints. Now, New Orleans, here's a team, you know, they you know, yet to yet again made that run to the playoffs after that 12-4 record, came up short against Tampa in the divisional round. Um, obviously, they need to figure out what's happening with Drew Brees. You know, 20 years in the league, it's hard to say goodbye, you know, especially to the all-time leading passer, second in passing TDs and, and completion percentage. Um, you know, what are they going to do at quarterback? Are they going to try to find someone to that's hitting free agency, um, bring them in to compete with Taysom Hill? Will they? They they've got Jameis Winston. Does Sean Payton believe in him? Um, do they try to, to either trade up or hope that Mac Jones falls to them? Um, a lot of question marks there. Um, I, I think if they stay put at 28, Mac Jones probably won't fall to them. They could potentially pick up a, an eventual replacement for uh, Malcolm Malcolm Jenkins, land TCU's Tra, uh, Travon Merrick. I think that makes sense. But I think their bigger need may actually be at linebacker. Alex Anzalone uh, will probably walk in free agency. Quan Alexander could potentially be a cap casualty as well um, after dealing with, with his Achilles injury. Um, and look, Nick Bolton out of Missouri, six foot two thirty-two, the junior chase linebacker, incredibly productive as a volume tackler, racking up nearly two two hundred tackles in the last two seasons. He just flies around to the ball, takes the right angle to the football, a terror lining, uh, terror behind the line as well. Seventeen and a half tackles for loss in his career. Also showed surprising ball skills. Sixteen passes defended in, in his career there with the Tigers. You play him next to Devario Davis, that'll give the Saints some some real versatility at the linebacker position moving on to round number two and really with the saints here 60 overall free safety marcus williams gave up 12 receptions on 14 targets according to pro football focus he's a free agent so if the saints want to move on from the uh, former 2017 second round pick they may actually be able to to look at central florida's richie grant the 511 200 pound senior uh, Thorpe Award finalist, and, and look, he put on a show at the Senior Bowl. He showed off the ball skills. You know, as a sophomore in 2018, became an All-American after hauling in six interceptions while also racking up 106 tackles. 
He shows tremendous range over the top against the pass, isn't afraid to mix it up coming downhill in the box against the run. I think he's that playmaker that they can add there in the back end of their defense. You know, and I mentioned that they could potentially look for for Mary to replace Jenkins. I like uh, really, you know, going with in round number two, taking that option of getting Richie Grant to potentially replace Marcus Williams there at the free safety position. And then you look at the Saints; they've got a couple of picks there in round number three. And the first one is not their traditional pick. Uh, that was traded again, like I said, to, the, to Cleveland. But they do have two compensatory picks. The first one at number 99 overall. Uh, I've got you know Chatarius Atwell, better known as Tutu Atwell, um, coming off the board here. And look, you know, Michael Thomas you know, battled that injury and, and, and suspension, limited him to just seven games. So you really got to see what the other receivers could do. And look, non-receivers... We're one in three in receiving yards. In, in you know Alvin Kamara, who also led the team in in receptions, and then Jared Cook, the tight end. You know Emmanuel Sanders, Traquan Smith. You know they tried to make up for it in their absence, and they were second and fourth in, in receiving yards. You know I, I think Thomas, you put him in there with with Smith, Sanders, Kamara, um, plus undrafted free agent Marcus Callaway. I thought he showed some promise. So why would the Saints actually target a receiver here in, in round number three? Well, you know, Sanders' impact can't be understated, but he's 33 years of age, entering the last year of his deal. You get a guy like Tutu Atwell, you add him to the picture, you have your future threat both on the outside and in the slot because he can not only stretch defenses vertically, but he also has that dynamic uh, playmaking ability with that suddenness and lateral agility to make plays make people miss in the open field he's diminutive he's 5'9 165 pounds you know and you know he's not one for really being much of a blocker on the outside and not really a guy you know from a contact balance standpoint he's going to go down pretty easily which is why I, I don't see him valued as high as, as some people some people actually have Tutu Atwell in their top five receivers I, I don't have him that high but I, I think he is deserving of a of a, a day two pick you know albeit a late one and then at 106 overall depending on what happens with the quarterback position you may end up you know they may end up re-signing uh, Jameis Winston you know, you've got Taysom Hill on the roster. Whatever they do there, um, I, I ultimately think they can get a quarterback here at 106 overall, and that's Davis Mills out of Stanford. 6'4", 225 pounds, the junior. Look, you know, he's played um, you know, right around the same number of games as as, uh, as Trey Lance, believe it or not. Um, he's actually only, only played in 14 games in, in three seasons with the Cardinal. But I think he still has the tools that you're looking for you know, in a quarterback. He has that arm strength to push the ball outside the numbers and down the field with you know with ease. He gets the ball out before the receivers even out of their breaks and has that ball placement to fit the ball in the tight windows where only his man can make a play. Also light on his feet, showing he can manipulate that pocket a little bit. And he can also beat you with his legs. Uh, did complete 65% of his passes, but he also threw eight interceptions uh, to just 18 touchdowns in 13 games. So I think he needs to cut down on the mistakes and not rely so heavily on that arm strength. Uh, and I think he does need some seasoning before he'd be ready to take over a program. But I think he does have starter potential, which is why I think the Saints could pull the trigger here uh, at the end of day number two. Green Bay Packers sitting at 29. And look, you know, Aaron Rodgers had another MVP season. And uh, you know, ultimately, within a game of the Super Bowl before Tom Brady took him down, um, he needs 
playmakers with him. And look, you know, I know that, you know, uh, Jordan Love was drafted. And look, Jordan Love was their first offensive player that they actually selected um, since Derek Sherrod, the offensive tackle with the 32nd overall pick in 2011. Um, so obviously, taking Jordan Love, you know, that pick shouldn't be taken lightly. But again, Aaron Rodgers, he's under contract for two more seasons. He needs some help on the offensive side of the ball. Can we get him help, please? Um, you know, that receiver position, you, you, either offensive line, get Wyatt Davis if Lane Taylor hits free agency, maybe get a tackle uh, potentially there as well. But man, you know, he needs some help. You know, you could potentially opt to take, you know, Levi Muzurike to get a defensive end, possibly Tyson Campbell, Eric Stokes at corner. But if they go defense, it makes you wonder more and more about what the future really holds for, for uh, A-Rod here uh, with the Packers. I just think, you know, they need a receiver. Now, look, I know that the Packers, you know, it's not out of the realm of possibility that they take a receiver. But look, the last time they took one, Javon Walker back in 2002. But I think this is the year that they do it. You know, Devontae Adams, he's a superstar at the receiver position. Um, stellar numbers yet again. I mean, this is absolutely ridiculous. 114 receptions um, for 1,374 yards for, and 18 touchdowns. Now, we have Marcus Valdez-Scantling and Alan Lazard. Um, you know, Lazard was was one of my favorite players coming out of uh, Iowa State. Um, you know, but those two guys... 66 catches, a little over 1,100 yards, and nine touchdowns. They actually finished behind Robert Tanyan and Aaron uh, Aaron Jones in receptions behind Adams. Um, I, I think Rodgers needs to get more weapons in the passing game. I think this is where Kadarius Tony can come off the board. He'll bring that dynamic to that passing attack that they've been lacking since we're, uh, since Randall Cobb left. Six foot, 193, very sudden. He was creating just giant, uh, you know, separation. Uh, just these gaps between him and, and the corners at the Senior Bowl, and so I think he makes a ton of sense. You know, yes, you can talk about him not being all that polished and talk about the route, you know, his, his running and, and the route running and all of that, but the guy still makes plays. He's still very sudden to change of direction, and he's only continuing to get better and better each and every year. Round number two, sitting there at number 62 overall, uh, the Packers look, they need a physical corner on the outside. I think Kevin King is, is gone more than likely. Um, and I look at Radarius Williams, uh, six foot 195 out of Oklahoma State. Uh, you know, the senior is the brother of Greedy Williams. This dude's a twitched up corner, good size, instincts that allow him to play blanket coverage on the outside, drives quickly on the ball in zone, rarely out of phase, forces those quarterbacks to make the perfect throw to complete their passes down the field. And then when the ball arrives, he has the knack for making timing those jumps and really making a play at the catch point. Um, he hasn't gotten the hype that his brother has, but I think he's the more complete prospect at this point in their career. You pair him with Jair Alexander on the outside, and that's a really nice combo. Um, and then Green Bay in round number three. Uh, let's see, overall that's number 93. And look, Robert Tanyan, look, he was nice for, for the Packers. Finished the season, again, as that second leading receiver behind Devontae Adams. Yeah, but Mercedes Lewis, look, you know, the ageless wonder, you know, he's a free agent, shouldn't be counted upon to come back. And I think Green Bay did draft Jay Sternberger in the third round in 2019. Only managed 12 receptions a season ago, but I think he still has a chance to make an, an impact. 
but I think you can add another tight end who can be a complete total package for, for them. And I'm looking at Tommy Tremble. I think this is a guy who could be a weapon in the passing attack, could be a physical blocker in the running game. And look, you know, he punishes defenders in that run game. It can really help out Aaron Jones, but he also has that, that athleticism up the seam as a receiver. And so I think we're, he's just scratching the surface of, of the type of potential there. 6'4", 248, the junior there out of Notre Dame. I think he'd be a great fit, and he can end up being a favorite of Aaron Rodgers, I think, sooner rather than later. Number 30 overall, the Buffalo Bills. Hey, again, making excellent strides under Sean McDermott in 2020, becoming an AFC power behind a stout defense and one of the best quarterbacks in Josh Allen, a guy who, you know, what do you, the difference between 2019 and 2020, I mean, it's unreal. Um, there are options here. Uh, Matt Milano, he, he's become one of the best young linebackers in the league. You know he's going to be commanding top dollar there. So he'll be looking for his replacement. And I think Nick, Nick Bolton could potentially be the guy here. You line him up next to, to Tremaine Edmonds, makes a ton of sense. I think the top priority may actually be protecting uh, Josh Allen. You know, you look at Deion, uh, Deion Dawkins. He's really the only guy that you can count on at the starting position. Um, you look at right tackle Daryl Williams. He's likely a candidate to walk. So you got to find his 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 replacement ultimately. I think there may not have been a more devastating finisher in the running game than Tevin Jenkins out of Oklahoma State. 6'5", 320 pounds. Uh, repeatedly drove his man into the ground with authority. Um, if you got to see the game against Texas this past season, you would have seen him take on, uh, on Joseph Asai. Uh, on an outside zone play and work him down the line before driving him five yards down the field then planting him along the sideline at the whistle. I mean, it was just a devastating, devastating play. It was a lot of fun to watch from two guys who, you know, who are, who are top 50 selections. Um, you know, very competitive player. As a pass protector, surprisingly nimble. Shoot, you know, quick, so, quick to shoot those hands inside. Tremendous strength at the point of attack. Also played some some left tackle at the 2020 position, so he can fill in on the left side in a pinch, but had to move back to the right side after an injury. Um, change of direction needs a little bit of work, but he's only given up two sacks in his career, according to Pro Football Focus, and those came in 2018. I think, to me, Tevin Jenkins is a week one starter, and the Bills, you know, it would make a ton of sense to be able to protect their investment there uh, at the quarterback position. Number 61 overall, I mentioned you know needing a replacement for Matt Milano. I'm looking at Dylan Moses out of Alabama, 6'3", 235. Now Moses, look, he was expected to leave Bama, lead Bama's defense in 2019. Tears that ACL uh, in fall camp before the, uh, you know, his season was done before it even began. Uh, I thought in 2020 you saw the leadership skills, but he lacked that explosiveness that he showed. Um, you know, and he actually admitted that he wasn't 100. You know, was still reeling from some of the effects of that knee. Still showed some speed to the sideline and a nose for the ball coming downhill, looking to deliver that big hit whenever he arrived. Effective as a blitzer, shooting gaps, uh, getting after the passer. Um, but he played out of position, man. I mean, he, he seemed to get lost dropping into zone coverage. I think you line him up at will, let him fly around to the football, let him pair with Tremaine Edmonds, and uh, you know he'll fill a void that I know you're probably going to have to fill with... Uh, Matt Milano commanding top dollar in free agency. And then at 94 overall in the third round, you know, Dawson Knox, look, you know, I'm not going to call him a bust just yet, but you know, he, he's really still trying to feel his way through the NFL. 
Tyler Croft, also a free agent, managed just 18 catches in two seasons with the team, so I, I don't think he's coming back. I think it would behoove the Bills to take a tight end at some point in the draft. I could see them staying in the Northeast, getting their guy in Hunter Long. 6'4", 253, the junior out of BC. Downfield threat in 2019 for the Eagles, averaging 18.2 yards per reception. And then in 2020, this dude was Phil Dracovic's security blanket. Uh, finished with at least four receptions in seven of the 11 games in which he played. Um, he can come in, push Knox for playing time, and potentially even take over that starting spot if Knox falters. So I, I think that really makes a ton of sense there. You know, the Bills, they get their linebacker there in round two, get an offensive lineman to protect uh, Josh Allen, and you also give him a weapon um, in, in Hunter Long there in round number three. Now we get to move on to the to the Super Bowl uh, opponents. KC sitting there number 31 overall, uh, made that another run there. Explosive offense, opportunistic defense. I think the defense ultimately you got to move the needle here, um, and you got to find somebody, you know, some guys there on the defensive side of the ball. I think you know Legarius Sneed, fourth round steal from a year ago, uh, but I think they could find another corner. Um, you know, Bashad Breland, Chavarius Ward could potentially leave in uh, in free agency. Tyson Campbell, Eric Stokes could potentially be consideration here. Another guy who's really making a name for himself, and you know, I'm I'm high on him. I wasn't sure if he would be a you know, in first round consideration, um, but the more I watch and the more I look at at uh, this cornerback class, I think Greg Newsom out of Northwestern could absolutely be a first rounder. Um, but I'm looking at their their pass rush, right? And so Frank Clark. Chris Jones, team's top two sack artists, both signed through the 2023 season, but after that, they need some help. Defensive ends, uh, Tano Passigno and uh, Alex Okafor combined for four sacks. They're both free agents. So I think they need an upgrade at this point. And I look at Carlos Boogie Basham, 6'4", 285. Dude's a physical freak with a nonstop motor. And I think he can really complement Clark and, and Jones with that pass rush. Tremendous size, gives him some scheme versatility there. Uh, impressive explosiveness. You know, had that 36-inch vertical leap, um, and then obvious power. I mean, bench pressing over 400 pounds, squatting over 700 pounds. Uh, incredibly productive for the Demon Deacons, 19 and a half sacks, 35 and a half tackles for loss over the last three seasons. Doesn't necessarily bend well off the edge, but that hand usage allows him to still get off blocks in a hurry. Um, and uses those secondary moves to protect, uh, to pressure the quarterback from within. I think Boogie Basham makes a ton of sense for KC there. Um, looking at round number two, this is where they could go with their corner if they don't get it in round number one. Aaron Robinson out of uh, Central Florida, 6'1", 190. Really good length at the corner position. Has the experience to play both on the outside and in the nickel for UCF. Um, that versatility, I think, will get him on the field early for, for the Chiefs. And then in round number three, I think they need help at the pivot, especially if Austin Ryder isn't re-signed. He's a free agent. And uh, look, they could bring in this year's Remington Award or Remington Trophy winner as his replacement, Landon Dickerson, 6'5", 315 out of Bama. Excellent size and length, tremendously physical at the point of attack. That jolt with his hands gets guys off balance. And then once he locks on, he's not letting go. Has the skills to be a first-round off uh, offensive lineman. But the torn ACL this year, it was his third season-ending injury of his career. You know, I, I think he was really affected. You know, his first two years there at Florida State, medicals were a major red flag with him, which I think is going to push him into day two range. But if he can stay healthy, 
I think he could really be that missing link along the interior of KC's line. I think round three is probably where he ends up falling. He may may be at the, right around the um, end of day two. I'm sorry, the second round. But I really think the uh, third round is probably where he goes. When healthy, he's probably the best center in this draft class. I just don't know if he's going to stay healthy or not. And then finally, Tampa at number 32 overall. Tom Brady taking Tampa back to the playoffs for the first time since 2007. And then their first Super Bowl berth since Super Bowl uh, you know, 37 back in 2002. Um, top three offense and a top 10 defense. So really, where do they want to go? What happens with the offseason? Several players as free agents. Uh, Leonard, Leonard Fournette, LaShawn McCoy, uh, Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown, uh, Aaron Stinney, Josh Wells, Joe Haig. So that's you know running backs, receivers, offensive line. Dominican Sue, J- uh, Shaquille Barrett, Levante David, defensive ends and linebackers. And then Nickelback, Ross Cockrell, all key players hitting the market this year. I think really the primary concern should be the offensive line, protecting TB12 as much as possible. Uh, Bucks knew that they got a steal when Tristan Wurst fell all the way to number 14. I mean, I was surprised that that happened. He was my top offensive lineman in last year's draft class. Ali Marpet, been pretty consistent at the left guard. They could still use that upgrade over uh, Donovan Smith at left tackle, who's still under contract for one more year. Also right guard, uh, where Aaron Sinney filled in as well. So I I think Smith probably remains the left tackle for one more year. Uh, I think Wyatt Davis could end up being the guy here um, if he's on the board. Uh, That could potentially be a a nice pickup there um, to be that right guard. But I'm also looking at Leonard Fournette. He's been the power back that Tampa's needed while Ronald Jones kind of delivered the speed on the perimeter. But neither one was really much of a threat in the passing game. You look at what Travis Etienne has done. Over 5,000 yards on the ground. Hauled over 100 passes you know, in, in his Clemson career. And he's always had that breakaway speed. I think that's really what we've talked about. His first two years, tremendous speed. But his final two years there really worked on the weight room, allowing him to have more, more power and really showed that, that that contact balance, that leg drive, making him more a complete back. Add Travis Etienne to this to this roster, let him play with, with Ronald Jones a second, and uh, you know adds another weapon, another dynamic to that passing attack. Could be a lot of fun there in in Tampa, watching him uh, out of the backfield. Sixty four overall, you know that pass rush. I mentioned Shaq Barrett, JPP. Devastating duo uh, for the Super Bowl champs. I think Shaq Barrett's probably going to end up being a, uh, a franchise, you know, getting the franchise tag again. Um, I think they'll still have to add another edge rusher. And I look at Patrick Jones out of Pittsburgh, 6'5", 260, very disruptive as a pass rusher over the last two years, 17 and a half sacks. Nice array of pass rush moves. Can beat beat the, the tackle with speed off the edge. Nice ripper arm over, beating a, that oversetting offensive tackle with an inside move to the quarterback. You know, the senior bowl was really interesting, you know, because he was during the practice, um, during the one-on-one 17% win rate, according to pro football focus, that was the lowest among all edge rushers. But when it came to game time, dude was a menace, two sacks, four QB pressures. Um, you know, he may not fall all the way to 64, but if he does, I think, you know, Tampa has to jump on him. And then the Bucks sitting there at number 96 overall. I think this is, you know, you look at Donovan Smith and really he hasn't lived up to that three-year $41.25 million deal. 
And while he does have one year remaining, I think Tampa has to look for his replacement. And I look at Spencer Brown out of Northern Iowa. I think he's this year's Makai Becton. He's 6'8", 321. Punishes defenders off the edge. I mean, he just throws them aside with ease. Um, you know, it's like he's taking out the trash, just throwing them. Um, surprisingly athletic for a guy his size. Um, also incredibly powerful, though. Put up a 500-pound bench press in 2020, um, which in and of itself is impressive. But when you think about this guy's length, I mean, that's that's pretty impressive. Um, so I know that there's going to be an adjustment period, but give him you know time, and I think he'll end up being the starter at left tackle for Tampa in 2022. So we've gotten through the first 32 picks, but we know that there are some teams that uh, that didn't have that don't have a first round pick. So that's going to be the Rams, the Seahawks, and the Texans. And I'll take you through those those draft picks. What I see happening there. First with the Rams, we know what happened. Jalen Ramsey, uh, you know, trade. They don't have a first round pick. Jacksonville has that. The Lions are going to have the first round pick for the next two seasons. So really what you're looking at is uh, a second round pick here. And at 57 overall, I think the Rams have to go linebacker. You know, they've been in desperate need of a linebacker for some time. And I'm looking at Jabril Cox out of LSU being that guy. 6'4", 231. Um, Look, you know, he took three of his nine interceptions for touchdown in his career. He was, you know, tremendously productive. He was awesome for North Dakota State. That, you know, that team went 45 and one during his three years there. Um, during that time, 258 tackles, 32 going for loss, 14 sacks, and 38 starts. Grad transfer goes to Baton Rouge and uh, you know, picked off K.J. Costello, returned that 14 yards for a score in his debut with the Tigers against Mississippi State. Really good size. Also shows that change of direction to play sideline to sideline against the run and the pass. Incredibly instinctive with a nose for the football, a knack for making plays in the passing game. He will bring that dynamic ability there that, that really was missing in that linebacking core um, there for uh, the Rams in 2020. Now, moving on with the Rams, you know they, they've got a couple of picks there, the compensatory picks in, in round number two. So when we look at the Rams, because they traded you know this year's pick to the Lions, um, so 102, I'm looking at, at James Hudson. And James Hudson can very a lot of people are talking about him being a second rounder. I think there's still some raw, you know, he's intriguing. I think he's still raw. So I think he may fall to round number three. The Rams may look to actually trade up to get this guy. He's 6'5, 3'10, only a junior. I'm looking at Andrew Whitworth, and look, that that knee injury um, kept him out of action for seven games. Um, able to return for that playoff run. And, you know, but look, Whitworth, he's 39 years of age. He's got one more year. I think, you know, father time's on his doorstep. That might be his final season. So I think the Rams look for his eventual replacement. Hudson has that athleticism. Um, He is incredibly raw, but I think he can sit behind Andrew Whitworth, one of the league's best offensive tackles, and, and learn from him. And I think that'd really be tremendous for his growth overall. And then at 104, just two picks later, I think the Rams have to look at a receiver potentially. Why? Well, you know, Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, and then Van Jefferson, who had a nice rookie season, they're coming back for 2021, but their lone rangy wideout, Josh Reynolds, is a free agent. And if he's not brought back, I think they could target another big target. And there are a few that would play bigger 
Then Seth Williams, 6'3", 211 pounds, the junior out of Auburn, presented the mismatch on the outside, using that big frame to box out defenders, use that length to climb the ladder, high point footballs, attacking the ball in the air. And I think one of the things that he really did well was on those back shoulder throws, adjusting to the football, making it virtually impossible for the corners to get outside, even in tight coverage. So those are my picks there for the Rams. We look at Seattle. Now the, the Seahawks also without a first round pick, um, traded that away to uh, the Jets in the Jamal Adams trade. Their first pick is at 56 overall, and they have to protect Russell Wilson. We know his relationship with the organization's on the rocks, and you know if it doesn't change soon, um, it may not be repairable. I think they have to look at that line. He was sacked 399 times in 144 games. Um, you know, according to ESPN stats and information research, that's the most of any quarterback since the AFL-NFL merger in 1970. And then Pro Football Focus noted that he, his, you know, he was pressured on 38% of his dropbacks and his 2.3 interception rate was the highest since his rookie season. So if Seattle really wants to mend things with their disgruntled quarterback, you address the offensive line. Dwayne Brown, the left tackle, he's 35 years of age, entering the final year of his deal. So you have to imagine that they're going to be looking for his replacement. Mike Upati, free agent. Now he's retired. I could see you know Seattle trading up to get a guy like Wyatt Davis. Will he fall to 56? That's uh, a bit of a stretch, but uh, you know with the way my mock plays out, that's kind of where he is. Wyatt Davis, 6'4", 315, one of the more consistent interior linemen in this year's draft. Wide base, anchors well, makes him difficult to be moved uh, off his spot in, in pass protection. Tremendous power and a lot of movement generated in the running game. So I, I think he makes a lot of sense there to Seattle in round number two. And then with, with Seattle after that, You know, they, they, they traded away their, their third-round pick, also going to uh, to the Jets, um, number 87 overall. So really what I'm looking at, Seattle, um, there could be a, a few different directions that they go. But I was just looking at their, their running back situation, receiver posi- position. In round four, number 129 overall, I think Demetric Felton out of UCLA would actually be a nice pickup. Uh, Pete Carroll loves the guys from the Pac-12. Uh, Felton, 5'10", 200. Um, you know, I thought he ran ran the ball really well there for the Bruins, a converted receiver, got a lot of time at the receiver position, made guys look silly, um, you know, had a nice double move on Thomas Graham, made him, you know, just completely uh, embarrassed him there on, on the outside. So he's somebody to, to keep an eye on there for Seattle at some point there. And then the Texans. Texans don't have a pick until the round, until uh, round number three. They could make a play for a quarterback with their first, you know, with the first pick in the draft. You know, whether it's trading up potentially to get a quarterback if Sean Watson, you know, that whole deal, what happens there? You know, if they trade for a first, you know, for a, a first round pick. But look, if Sean Watson remains in a, in a Texans jersey on draft day, I think you can focus on the cornerback position. Garyon Conley and Vernon Hargraves are both free agents. But now that J.J. Watt's been released, I think the bigger need actually is that defensive end. I think that's where they ultimately turn their focus. And J2 Fele out of USC could absolutely be um, a a second-round pick. Um, but at 67 overall, that'd be tremendous, tre- tremendous value. 6'3", 305, the junior disruptive three-down lineman 
Uh, quick penetrator against the run, uses that burst, powerful hands, along with a quick swim move to beat blocks, get after the passer as well. Um, needs to watch that pad level because it kind of gets creeping up and he gets neutralized if he's firing too high off the ball. But again, scheme versatile, doesn't have to come off the field on third downs. I think he'd be a nice pickup for Houston there in round number three. So between episodes 19 and episodes 20, uh, we, we've covered... 106 picks for all 32 teams. And, uh, you know, I'm going to continue to refine my mock draft. I'm going to go ahead and I'm working on round four, see if I can get round five put together as well. And I'll get those released out onto the website. Round three, I need to go ahead and, and get on there as well. I need to explore, um, you know, what it would look like if Elijah Vera Tucker comes off the board at number 14 overall. Do I have Patrick Sertan valued at the right spot there at 21? He, he's one of those guys, either you love him or you hate him. Um, so I, there are a lot of different moves that you got to decide on. You know, I think Kyle Pitts as well. Do the Eagles take him at number six? You know, does Cincinnati take him at number five? They can use a tight end. Um, you know, he's one of those intriguing guys as well. Uh, if he at number six, um, you know, then could it be, you know, Devontae Smith that falls to the Giants at 11? You know, when you hear a guy like Devontae Smith talking about how he prefers Mac Jones to Tua Tango Bailoa, does that then, you know, with Miami, does Miami say, you know what, maybe we go with Jamar Chase at number three? In which case, I think, you know, you could see Devontae Smith end up falling to either number six to the to the, uh, to the Eagles, potentially number seven overall to, to the Lions, or to number 11, ultimately coming off the board there to, to the Giants. I don't think he gets past the Giants there at 11, um, but there are you know, a few teams that would be on the market for him. Um, so it would be interesting to see how all of this plays out over the course of the next few uh, next couple of months with, with free agency. But look, Alshon Jeffrey was also released there by the Eagles. Um, you know, Zach Ertz, has, they haven't made a, a move with him yet. So that may signify that the Eagles are going to be targeting a receiver at number six overall. But again, you know, it's still too early to tell exactly what's going to happen, what moves are going to be made. Um, so that's part of the beauty of, of this whole pre-draft process. We'll continue to bring that to you. I think from here, uh, the next group of podcasts that I'll be putting together, we'll be taking a look position by position. We'll take a look at the top players, top 10 um, for sure, and then look at some of those other players that we should be talking about as well. Either guys that might be a little overrated, some guys that are flying under the radar, some late round gems, possibly even some undrafted free agents as well. So we'll take you through position by position, take a look at that, and then by that point I'll have another mock draft. You know, we'll have we'll be in well into free agency at that point. I'll have another mock draft that we can go ahead and break down as well. Maybe we'll get weird at some point and play things by the numbers again. Um, so we'll see what everything happens. But uh, until then, everyone, um, you know, we're going to go ahead and and, uh, and call it a podcast for now. This has been the Ready for the Draft podcast. I've been your host, Greg Schutz. Please check out readyforthedraft.com. I'm going to go ahead, like I said, and get out, get the website updated with all of my, my mock draft content as well. Um, and until next time, everyone, take care. And I am out of here.